What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and Twitter for the latest updates. Uh, Coming to you guys on this Monday morning, episode 249. And uh, would like to, before we get going, extend a thank you for our great guest last week, uh, Jake Barnacle. Great to talk some Bruins with him. You know, as I said multiple times on the guest Friday last week, you know, wish it was under better circumstances, but still great uh, to catch up with Jake. Uh, hoping to have him back on the pod at some point uh, in the next few months. So great to chat with him. If you haven't checked it out, you can do that on uh, Apple Music or uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, i got a great guest for you guys this week. A uh, new guest, really looking forward to bringing you guys that later this week on Friday, so you can look forward to that. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Obviously, uh, it's a great morning to be a Boston Celtics fan. Uh, quite a win for the Celtics yesterday. Uh, you know, it's almost seems like it was, you know, deja vu like the second round series last year uh, with the Bucks, you know, kind of seemed to follow a similar script um, in Game 7, you know, followed the, the same script yesterday with uh, the Celtics just uh, pouring it on in the second half against the Sixers. That uh, just became an onslaught of a game. Um, and, you know, here we go. Celtics are kind of back in a position that we all kind of figured they would be. Um, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now the road has been a little bumpier than I think we were all expecting. You know, with the Celtics-Hawks series going to six, Celtics-Sixers going to seven. Um, But the good news is they're here. You know, I think that that's the biggest thing. You know, Celtics were able to withstand the pressure of a Game 7. And I think specifically playing in the Garden in that same place that they lost Game 5 of this series. And you know, being able to realize that, okay, you know, this is our, you know, last chance, you know, to show out in front of our home crowd. And they made sure it wasn't going to be their last home game. So, you know, just a tremendous performance. No one more impressive on that floor yesterday than Jason Tatum. Um, Really, I think his signature playoff performance Um, And I think that certainly he's had great playoff games before, but this really was kind of the culmination of him as a player that it's a game seven. It's the biggest, I mean, you could argue it's one of the biggest games of his career yesterday. Um, You know, really a chance for him to solidify why he is a top five player in the NBA, why he got, you know, or finished fourth place in MVP voting this season. You know, I think a real way to identify that, yes, he is the next, you know, great star in this league um, and someone that I think in the next two, three years could be the best player in the league. And I think to be able to solidify that with a 51-point game in a game seven, in a winner-go-home type of game, you know, it was the best basketball game that I have seen him play probably in his whole career. I know that he's had games where he's scored more than 51. I know that he's hit 60 before, but this was just, he just couldn't miss. You know, I think just a culmination of a, just a star player coming through when his team really needed him. And I think this got started in game six last week. You know, Celtics on the road facing elimination, facing a deficit in the fourth quarter. You know, Tatum could not buy a bucket for almost that entire game, but he stepped it up when it mattered most, rescued the Celtics, um, and then continued that momentum with just a nothing short of ridiculous offensive performance, you know, showing off everything he can do from an offensive standpoint, you know, making the threes, driving to the basket, really just looking like he was the best player on the court for the entire game. 
you know, yeah, you had two guys on that floor. One guy that is the current MVP, the other guy that has won multiple MVPs. And Jason Tatum just was easily the best player on the floor. Um, and I think that for me, I know that a lot of a lot of praise will go to Jason, and rightfully so. But I think that the way that the Celtics were able to contain Embiid was great to see. You know, Al Horford played a fantastic defensive game. The Celtics really kind of got back to that defensive identity against Embiid specifically, throwing different guys at him. And I think that the way that they defended was outstanding. You know, really, I think getting Rob Williams back into the starting lineup really kind of made the difference in this series. The Celtics really, you know, obviously had their backs against the wall. In Game 6, Joe Mazzulla says, you know, enough. We're going to put Rob in the game, and the Celtics, you know, allowed allowed 86 points in Game 6 with the 95-86 to 86 win, and then, you know, the defense allowed 88 points last night, or yesterday, and the game was not close. So I think, you know, really kind of the defensive change, you know, really kind of, you know, really catapulted this team. But I think, again, just an unbelievable game by Tatum. Jalen Brown is really strong, you know, really kind of seemed to, the Celtics kind of seemed to catch their rhythm when Brown, you know, took the hit to the face, you know, comes up bleeding. And I think, you know, based on the comments after, you know, game six, talking about the garden crowd, I mean, you know, that's the garden crowd that I think we all remember fondly from that championship run in 2008. You know, it was you know, shades of that playoff run with how how much the crowd got into the game. And I think that Jalen, you know, backed it up, that, you know, he was calling the fans out, but he backed up his, he backed up those comments with his play and the way that he played, you know, diving for a loose ball in the first half, you know, getting into it with Harden, you know, George Niang tries to, you know, pull his leg, whatever the heck he was trying to do. You know, Jalen gets a technical, gets hit in the face, I Harden, you know, just all those things showed you that he was really locked in and really locked into the game. You know, missed some shots, was not obviously as on fire as Jason Tatum was, but, you know, still made enough plays, scored 25 points. Um, and I think just everything was just great to see yesterday. You know, really kind of a Tatum and Brown game. Didn't really get a lot of scoring from other guys, but they really didn't need it. You know, I think that Al Horford is good to see him knock down some shots. But I think really the story of this game was Jason Tatum, but I think also Al Horford and the way that the Celtics collectively played defense against Embiid. You know, really, Embiid really didn't do anything in this game, and neither did Harden. So I think the team defense and Jason Tatum... Um, just, you know, overpowered the Sixers. And I think it was a great decision, obviously, to get Rob back in the starting lineup because I think it just added another dimension for the Celtics that Rob could be someone that the Sixers had to worry about offensively and defensively. You know, I think especially defensively, you looked at the way that the Sixers played, I think defensively, when Tatum or whoever would get into the paint, into the paint, and there's Rob Williams, you know, you know, and then you have to make a decision, you know, do you try to stop the drive of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, or do you, you know, sag back and try to stop the alley oop? So, I think that was huge to put Rob in the lineup, but then he just gives the offense, you know, defensively, he gives the other team kind of second thought to go up with the ball, you know, knowing that he's there and he can block the shot, you know, with those pogo sticks of legs that he has. Um, but I think it was a great coaching adjustment, and I think clearly you've seen results. So I think you got to think that the Celtics continue to 
you know, run that double big lineup. Very curious to see what the or what the team or what the lineup looks like against the Heat. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I think that that's going to be very curious to see if they stick with the double 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 bigs. You know, I would think that they do. You know, just based on the success they had in the last two games defensively, but you know, clearly the Heat and the Sixers are two different teams, so that will be kind of interesting to see. I think. You know, talking about the Sixers just slightly, you know, I think, again, it was kind of a, a, a blown opportunity, you know, for them in game six, the way that they kind of were seemingly in control for most of that game. And then, you know, just couldn't couldn't deliver that knockout punch um, in that game six. And, you know, it just was shocking to me that, you know, Tatum had one of his worst if not maybe his worst, you know, game this season through three quarters, and they couldn't, you know, get a lead bigger than a couple points. You know, there really wasn't a point where the Sixers kind of went out in front and went ahead by like, you know, 10 or 12 points. I don't, at least I don't think there was in the second half, you know, and I think, you know, oftentimes that's what happens. You know, you have an opportunity you let it slip away and then that's it that's the series and so I think you know clearly we can talk about the Celtics and their poor performance in game five but I think that you know it wasn't an elimination game and I know that that's not exactly the best comparison to make because you want your team to be able to win the pivotal games especially at home but I think because it was not quite an elimination game. I think that's kind of where the Celtics were able to, you know, perform when their backs were really against the wall, you know, down three to two going on the road exactly like they did a year ago. Um, and then being able to steal that game on the road, I really felt like the Celtics stole that game um, in Philadelphia. And then coming back home and just, you know, blowing them out. And I think really playing the type of basketball that you expected from them this entire series. You know, two of these games, game two and game seven, were not close. And I think that, to me, is a little bit more indicative of who the Celtics are versus the Sixers, that, you know, if the Celtics play with the high defensive intensity, are able to knock down shots, create for other guys, you know, it kind of is not a close series. And I think that You know, unfortunately, the Celtics may have gotten the best of themselves, you know, losing a couple of games when they really shouldn't have. But, you know, that's still kind of the growth of this team. Um, And I think that we all have to remember that this is a group, this is a coaching staff that's growing. You know, this is a coaching staff that's, you know, been decimated for a couple of different reasons. You know, clearly with the EMA suspension, with you know, Will Hardy taking the job in Utah with Damon Stoudemire being hired by Georgia Tech. You know, the Celtics lost a lot of manpower behind that bench. And I think they're all trying to, you know, go, go not go with it, but I think the whole team is having to deal with stuff like that. And I think as much as I think the fan base wants to get on Joe Missoula for whatever reason, I think they kind of do need to, cut him a little bit of slack just in the sense that, you know, it's, it's been challenging, you know, the Celtics are short a couple of assistants. And I think Joe is in a position that I think no one thought he would be in. You know, if you were to tell me a year ago, you know, that he would be the, the head coach, I would have told you you're crazy. So I think, you know, I've been very impressed with, you know, his recent ability, I think, to make some changes because I think clearly it was difficult to make that decision to put Rob into the into the starting lineup and take out Derek White. You know, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to be stubborn and easy to think that, you know, it's going to work itself out in the end. But I think he made the right call and I hope that he continues to kind of make the correct adjustments um, in this next series. It's going to be difficult Eric Spolster is, you know, I think arguably the best coach in the league, but, you know, I wouldn't count out Joe, wouldn't count out this 
Celtics team to be able to, you know, make the necessary adjustments against this Heat team. So I think, you know, looking more into the Heat, you know, this will be an interesting series because the Heat are a team that's typically are very deep in the sense that they play a lot of guys. You know, if you look at their the roster construction, but the minutes that guys have gotten in the postseason, it's a pretty good number of players. You know, I think the Celtics were able to get by playing the Sixers in the last couple of games, specifically only playing seven guys. Don't think that's going to work against the Heat. You know, the Heat are a team that, you know, plays up to nine or ten guys. You know, and yes, I think the injuries to Hero and Oladipo definitely affect that. You know, so players like Duncan Robinson are getting more minutes. You know, Caleb Martin's getting more minutes. But I think you really look at this team all the way, you know, all the way from Butler, all the way down to, you know, Haywood Highsmith and Cody Zeller. You know, that's 10 guys that are getting minutes. Um, Just do some quick math here. Yeah, it's 11. It's like pretty much 11 guys that have been getting, you know, somewhat consistent minutes. Um, You know, Hero and Oladipo will not play in this series. Hero, I think, could potentially return if the Heat are able to win this series. Um, Oladipo's done for the year, unfortunately, suffered a knee injury in the first round. So, you know, I think that's kind of the one area of serious adjustments the Celtics are going to have to make is getting more guys into the lineup because the Heat are a team that play a lot of guys. And I think the Celtics may not have been that type of team. Now, I'm not saying the Celtics need to empty out their bench, play every single guy. But I do think, you know, this is a series that you could see Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard um, get some minutes because I think with the Heat and the zone defense, you know, we know all about that. Assuming that that's kind of what is going to happen, the Celtics are going to need as many shooters on the floor as they can. Uh, because they think that if the Heat go into zone, you know, clearly that's going to allow for, you know, more space. And I think the Heat are going to be, I don't want to say daring the Celtics to make shots, but I think one of the, you know, not drawbacks, but one of the you know, what, what happens with his own defense is guys get open looks. And I think that, you know, the Celtics have some guys on their bench, Hauser and Pritchard in particular, you know, Brogdon, even the sixth man of the year, that they, you know, shoot a high percentage from three. And I think if the Celtics can get those guys into some minutes and they can make shots, it may kind of, the Heat may think twice about playing that zone defense you know, if guys like Hauser and Pritchard get open looks and hit them. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see just how deep the Celtics bench goes. You know, I imagine that White and Brogdon will get major minutes. have to think that Grant Williams will play a little bit. Uh, Hauser and Pritchard, I could see them getting minutes. Um, but beyond that, I don't know if the Celtics go any deeper. Um, but I think that's going to be curious to see. Um, you know, which guys get some minutes off the bench because I just, I don't think the Celtics can beat this Heat team if they're just going to play seven or eight guys. Now, I'm not saying that they need to play all these guys and play all these guys a lot of minutes, but I think, you know, spelling someone like Marcus Smart with Pritchard, you know, being able to bring Hauser in for a couple minutes, you know, if Tatum or Brown needs a rest, you know, and having the ability of having another knockdown shooter, you know, on the floor. And I don't think Sam's necessarily a bad defender either. Um, and I think that he could, you know, have a little bit of a defensive impact. Um, but I think for the Celtics defensively, you know, it's going to be a challenge with Jimmy Butler. And I think that, you know, you saw how well Jalen was able to match up with James Harden with the high pickup points going to be curious to see if that's what they try to do again, you know, with Butler specifically, because he's the guy that the offense kind of goes through. And I think if the Celtics make things difficult for Jimmy, you know, 
I don't think the Heat can win the series if he doesn't have a good series. Now he's gonna have probably gonna have a good series because he's been the best player in the playoffs. I think pretty much you know averaging thirty one a game and you know dominating single handedly, dominating some games. So you know that will be interesting. I think Adebayo sometimes can have monster games against the Celtics. He's averaging eighteen and nine in the playoffs. So. You know, I think that the Celtics could kind of attack him the same way they did Embiid, you know, with the multiple defenders, with Grant, with Rob, with Al Horford. You know, I think that that's a possibility, you know. And then the other guys are kind of just can have some good games, can have some bad games. Um, but I think the Celtics have to be very focused on both ends of the floor um, because the Heat at times, are really good at outworking the other team. And I think the Celtics have to, you know, maintain their composure. Um, and I think that they know that, you know, this is a team that the Celtics know very well. You know, they've played them. This will now be the third time in the last four years that they've played each other in the conference finals. And, you know, I think that they're familiar with each other. There's not going to be a whole lot of, like, I don't want to say secrets, but, like, yeah, coaching adjustments will be a part of the series, but the teams know each other so well, and I think that they kind of know what the other team is going to try to do, so it's kind of just a, ma a matter of making your shots, you know, not turning the ball over. You know, the Heat are a very good defensive team, always have been with their active hands, and so I think the Celtics have to be, you know, focused and not be a high turnover team like they were last year in the playoffs. You know, I think that they got to do a better job of that. And I think they have been for the most part, but the heat, they're going to play you really hard. And I think the Celtics have to be able to come into the games with that same mentality, knowing that this is going to be, this is going to be a rock fight of a series. This is not going to be an easy series. You know, I think talent wise, you could look at this and be like, Oh, Celtics at five, they should have no problem with the heat, but you know, it's the Heat. They are not a, you know, normal eight seed. You know, this is a team that's so well coached, know exactly what to get out of their guys. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a heck of a series. I fully expect that this is going to go six or seven. Now there could be a possibility that the Celtics breeze through the Heat and realize that, okay, this is a team that we are better than. We can't mess around with them. We're going to take it to them. So I think it's a possibility that they win in five games, but I seem to think that we're going to be, you know, repeating last year's series, you know, coming down to a game seven. The difference is the Celtics would have home court, which, you know, is great for this series. It'd be amazing if the Celtics could win both in Boston, go on the road in Miami and really just have to win one. But as I said, it's going to be a rock fight of a series. So um, I think get ready for some low-scoring games, you know, games that I think are going to come down to the last couple of minutes. Um, we just have to have, you know, faith and have trust that the Celtics will be able to make the right plays, be able to, you know, have the requisite energy at the right time. So very much looking forward to Celtics Heat. Game one of the series is on Wednesday night. Game two Friday, game three on Sunday. So have plenty of games to talk about next week. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little Red Sox. And unfortunately, it's not been a great run for the Red Sox this week, uh, splitting a couple games in Atlanta and then being swept by the St. Louis Cardinals um, at Fenway, putting the Red Sox uh, back in last place by a half game. Uh, they've lost five out of six. Uh, since their eight-game win streak got snapped. And, you know, yeah, it's uh, not been, a, not been, it was not a great weekend for the Red Sox. Um, you know, I think it was, I don't want this to sound like I am cutting the Red Sox slack because I think two of these losses against the Cardinals should not have happened. You should have been able to win two of these games, I think specifically with, 
the issues that Kenley Jansen had in the ninth inning. But I think this is a Cardinals team coming into this weekend series. They were 13-25. and 25. Now, historically, they are always a good team. They are always consistently pretty good year to year. I'm not a big Cardinals person. I don't really know specifically what's been going on with them um, and why they started so poorly, 13-25, and 25, coming into this series. But I think that they knew that this was a series that they really needed to have, you know, kind of that desperation where it's like you get off to that poor of a start, you need something to kind of go your way. And so I think specifically in that Friday night game, with the runs that they were able to put up in the ninth inning, you know, they were able to get a big win and get a much-needed win. I think this was really much-needed for the Cardinals. You could argue that they needed this series way more than the Red Sox did. Now, that's not an excuse. I don't want this to be like, oh, well, you know, the Red Sox did all they could. I mean, they didn't, you know, losing both games uh, Friday, Saturday with leads at certain points and you know, really made it a lot more disappointing considering the fact that James Paxton came back off the injured list, made his first Red Sox start, pitched great, and Josh Winkowski and Kenley Jansen couldn't hold leads. And I think even more frustrating, those two guys in particular have probably been their best relief pitchers. So it was something you didn't really expect. Um, And then the same thing happened Saturday, you know, Jansen can't hold the lead, has all those pitch violations, uh, you know, rightfully so or not, I don't really know. Um, but, you know, Cardinals take the lead on the throwing error by Hernandez, and, you know, Cardinals win those first two, and then Corey Kluber has a hard time. Red Sox bullpen has a hard time. Cardinals win easily 9-1 to last night. So, you know... Not a good weekend. Just not a good weekend for this team. Um, I think that, you know, you could look at this as, okay, just a couple of bad bullpen games. You blow leads in both of those games, you know, Sunday's game. You know, it kind of just continues that negative momentum. You know, yeah, the team's lost five out of six. You know, I think taking one out of two from Atlanta was pretty impressive. But I think coming back home against a team that's not been very good this year, you know, losing those first two games the way that you did, and then losing 9-1, to one, it just kind of took away that positive momentum from the eight-game winning streak and even the, the starts by Paxton and by Sale. Both of those guys were outstanding in their starts this weekend. So, you know, you just maybe have to hope that it's just a one-off, that the bullpen is been pretty good so far this season, you know, that you just kind of take it with a grain of salt and be like, okay, it's baseball, it's just a bad couple of games, you know, because that's often what happens. You know, the season is 162 games, you're going to have games like this, you're going to have stretches like this, where you're going to lose games, and I think, you know, you kind of just, you just take them, take them as they come, and I think, this is a team that should be able to respond, um, and I feel pretty confident that they can, um, but it does not make the weekend any less uh, disappointing. You know, I think specifically with the great starts that Sale and Paxton made, and I think you want to be able to, you know, nail down those wins so those guys can feel even better about their starts. Um, but I was really impressed with Paxton. Very curious to see what the rotation looks like the rest of the year, you know, is Paxton going to be a regular guy who drops out of the rotation? Is it Pavetta? Is it Hauk? You know, do the Red Sox roll with six guys? I can't imagine that they're going to do that, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I do think that, so read this weekend, Joel Rodriguez uh, is going to, I shouldn't say return to the team because he's not appeared in a game this season but had an injury. Um, in spring training, but he'll be back this week against Seattle. So the Red Sox uh, will get some help. He's a lefty reliever, probably kind of more of a matchup guy. Um, but be interesting to see what he can bring 
uh, Red Sox, I think, DFA Ryan, Ryan Brazer to the delight of some fans. You know, pretty, uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty uh, controversial. It's not the right word. Pretty much kind of like a lightning rod of a player where, you know, kind of guy gets a lot of blame and rightfully so. You know, he's had his struggles over the years, uh, but is, I believe, was one of three members that were on that 2018 championship team. Um, so now it's two. It's down to Sale um, and Rafael Devers. So, you know, I think I'm glad that the Red Sox are bringing in Rodriguez, see what he can do. Um, and hopefully it kind of helps the bullpen give them kind of a bit of a jolt. Um, but like I said, you know, I think that we always want to try to take the the positive, you know, out of out of our our local teams. But I do think that this is a pretty critical series for the Red Sox against Seattle uh, that starts tonight at Fenway. Three games again against a team that's just kind of okay, you know, kind of similar to where the Red Sox are at this point. You know, twenty two and nineteen. Seattle is twenty and twenty coming into the game. And so I think they got to respond. You know, I think that this is pretty critical with the Red Sox, you know, back in last place by half a game. Um, this is not a division that you want to be, you know, getting behind in. You know, I think the Red Sox had a great start or had a had a good run with the eight-game winning streak going all the way up to third place. But, you know, now back in last, I think that that's, kind of just how the division is going to go this season, but um, the Red Sox really cannot afford to get further down in the ALE standings if they want to be competitive. So, you know, with the division getting more challenging, you knew that the Yankees were not going to be in last place the entire year, you know, and I think, yeah, easy to make fun of them, but at the same time, they're a talented team, and I think, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough division for the Red Sox to, you know, stay competitive, but um, you do need a good response um, against Seattle this series um, because I think they cannot afford to let these losses snowball, you know, and become a, a trend. You know, five out of six kind of becomes a little bit of a skid. So, you know, it's a huge opportunity at home with um, Hauk going tonight, Pavetta going tomorrow, and then Brian Bayo going Wednesday. And then the Red Sox will have a pretty huge series with uh, the San Diego Padres. They'll travel there to play this weekend. So, you know, I think the Red Sox cannot afford to have another bad series against Seattle because they're going to be on the road for the next 10 games or next nine games, I should say. They're in San Diego, L.A., and then Arizona over the next nine following this series against Seattle. So really hope the Red Sox can get back on track before they have to go out west and then they won't return to Fenway until the last weekend of, or the last week of May. So we'll see if they can respond against the Mariners tonight, first pitch at 7-10. So I think we're going to move on. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Patriots. Um, if you haven't heard, there was a schedule release that last week. Um, if you, you know, missed out on that with all the <laughs> craziness that, you know, ESPN makes it into a whole, you know, three-hour program, it's like completely unnecessary, but, you know, I guess it's the NFL. You have to take advantage of, you know, any sort of event that happens. Um, well, I mean, this is pretty much making this into event into an event, which it shouldn't be, but it is what it is. But yes, Patriots have a schedule uh, for next year. You know, I think that based on the opponents that they had, it probably was going to be a challenging schedule. Um, but no, so. Actually, I probably should have mentioned at the top of the podcast that, you know, Musket Fire still contributing at that website. Uh, we'll be writing a new article this week, which will be out at some point 
uh, talking about the Patriot schedule in particular. I uh, don't want to get into too much of my opinions because I want you guys to be able to read about it. But, you know, people saying that Patriots have a tough schedule, which I think looking at the teams, yes, it looks difficult. But, you know, I think at the same time, the schedule strength is based on the year before, based on the team's records from the year before. Teams aren't going to be the same year to year. That's kind of how it works um, in the NFL. So I think, you know, it's hard to kind of predict if a schedule is really going to be that difficult. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see. But I think getting into the actual schedule, we'll take a look at their games. You know, I think uh, there was news before uh, the game schedule came out that the Patriots would uh, be honoring Tom Brady at their home opener uh, this season. So that will be exciting. Great to see Tom back and fans can show their uh, appreciation. So I'm going to take a look at the schedule, the official schedule for the team in 2023. September 10th is the home opener and it is against the Philadelphia Eagles. So a pretty tough opponent for the Patriots, uh, week one. Uh, but they will open the season with back-to-back -back games at home. Uh, Philadelphia, week one, a uh, 425 game on Sunday afternoon. Um, and then week two, they will host the Dolphins in a Sunday night football game. So that will be interesting to see. I should note the Patriots will have their three preseason games. Uh, first week will be at home against the Texans. And they are on the road for weeks two and three against Green Bay and Tennessee. So then back to the regular, back to the regular season schedule. Uh, Patriots will have their first road game of the season, week three, as they travel to New York to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. That will certainly be an interesting game to watch. And then week four, Patriots are on the road again in Dallas to play the Cowboys. Week 5, Patriots will host the Saints. Week 6, Patriots will travel to Las Vegas. Back to the uh, scene of the crime, so to speak, from that uh, crazy uh, game in Vegas last year. So they will travel back to Vegas week 6. Week 7, Patriots will host the Bills. Week 8, Patriots will go to Miami. This is important gear because the Patriots will not have to go down to uh, Miami late in the season, which I think uh, should be a good thing that they're not having to go down there late in the season with that heat. Probably still will be hot here uh, for this game week 8 on October 29th, but at least it won't be toward the end of the season. Week 9, Patriots will host the Washington Commanders, and then week 10, Patriots will make their trip to uh, Frankfurt, Germany, take on the Indianapolis Colts. And that is a 9, 9.30 start in the morning in week 10. Patriots have their bye the next week. Week 12, Patriots will host, or excuse me, will travel to New York to take on the Giants. Patriots playing the Giants and the Jets on the road this season. Week 13, Patriots will return home to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. Then week 14, Patriots will play the Steelers in a Thursday night game in Pittsburgh. And then the Patriots will come back the week after hosting the defending Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs on a Monday night game. So Patriots get a pretty big week, or pretty big uh, time off uh, between week 14 and 15, which I think is significant because I think with their bye week at week 11, Patriots then will have 11 days off between weeks 14 and 15 may act as a little bit of a second bye week. So I thought that that was kind of significant there. Uh, week 16, Patriots will be traveling to Denver, uh, 8.15 start on Christmas Eve. So yeah, that will be, that will be interesting. Week 17, Patriots travel to Buffalo. And then week 18, Patriots will host the Jets uh, that game. The day and time is to be determined, so likely we'll not know about that for quite a while, I would think, as maybe this has some, you know, 
playoff implications, division implications. So wouldn't be surprised if that, if it is an important game for the division, that that could possibly be moved to a primetime game. So, you know, I think looking at the schedule, it's certainly difficult. You know, I think just looking at the fact that you have to play both Philadelphia and Kansas City makes it pretty difficult. You know, you got to play a team like Dallas. Obviously, you got to play the division teams, which are going to be challenging. Um, you know, Chargers, Giants, Steelers, a couple of those teams, pretty solid. But, you know, again, I think it's just kind of based on how the teams did last year. Some of those teams may not be the same. They may be, you know, more difficult. They may not be as difficult. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity for the Patriots to be able to open the season with Philadelphia, you know, really kind of get to measure themselves at, you know, where they're at. But I think, look, week one's crazy. There are crazy things that happen at week one. So, you know, I wouldn't count out the Patriots necessarily. Um, you know, week one is week one. It's sometimes weird. It's sometimes wacky. But I think I'm glad the Patriots will open the season with two games at home, you know, really kind of hopefully get their bearings out from under them before they got to go on the road, play the Jets, the Cowboys. So, you know, I think that the beginning and the end of the schedule does look kind of challenging, uh, but the middle part, you know, looks pretty good. So, you know, I think hoping the Patriots can get out of the first four games with at least two wins um, and then hopefully get on a run and then close out the season while Patriots have I think historically in the last couple of years have had some issues closing out the season. So, you know, you hope that it goes a little bit differently this year, but um, yeah, schedule's the schedule. And, you know, I think it's something that people are going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. But remember, season does not start for four more months. So a lot can happen uh, between now and, you know, off-season workouts, training camp, preseason, you know, guys can get cut, guys can get injured, all types of things can happen. So uh, be interesting to see how it goes for the Patriots in 2023. Uh, Patriots have signed eight of their 12 draft picks um, and have signed a couple of rookie free agents. So Patriots have been pretty active um, bringing in some of their draft picks or undrafted guys. But I think first four picks have yet to sign, but I think that that's pretty, pretty normal. Uh, I don't believe that any first round pick has signed a contract yet. So something to maybe keep your eye on, but I expect Patriots will get uh, contracts done with all of their uh, draft picks and the uh, three undrafted rookies. So I think that that pretty much, you know, covers it for the Patriots. Um, I think we're going to get on, get on moving, talk a little bit about the revolution. Uh, tough loss for the Revs on the road in Miami on Saturday. Uh, Revs losing two to one. Just kind of a, just kind of a weird game. You know, the Revs unable to, you know, find that tying goal. Inter Miami scored twice in the, or actually all the goals for this game came in the first half. Um, Revs unable to take advantage of the red card that Miami was awarded in the second half. And Josie Altidore in particular got a great chance uh, for an equalizer late in the game, but was, was unable to score. So Revs lose two to one, just their second loss of the season. And uh, Carlos Hill did score in this game. Noel Buck did have a goal that was taken back due to offside. Revs had a couple of, has some defensive, you know, issues in this game. I wouldn't say so much the first goal um, as it was scored off a deflection, but the second goal, uh, Revs just were beat to the ball and, you know, a pretty scary sight. Joseph Martinez, six yards from the goal, right in front, you know, with all the time in the world. And he scored to give Miami back the lead as Carlos Hill tied it earlier in the first half. But the uh, but Inter-Miami gets the win, beats the Revs, and I think 
you know, it's not necessarily surprising losing on the road. You know, this is a Reds team that has had a pretty good, I don't want to say luck, but like a pretty good run of the schedule that they've been playing a lot of home games. So, you know, having the crowd behind them, Reds lose this game. They'll be on the road again next weekend against Philadelphia. Uh, it'll be interesting to see that game, kind of an Eastern Conference rivalry, if you will. But I think, you know, it's a long season. You know, Revs have had such a great start to this season that I think it's, you know, understandable that you might lose some, some road games, you know, lose points on the road. But, you know, kind of just how it goes. And, you know, this is a team that I think is still, you know, trying to deal with the loss of Dylan Barrero, you know, trying to figure out, you know, who's going to step up. I was really impressed with Nolbuck in that game, did score. It was too bad that it came back as an offside, but, you know, he's a guy that I think is really, over the last couple of games, has really kind of come into his own and, you know, become a really important part of the team. So, really happy for him um, and the way that he's been able to start this season. And I think giving the Revs another attacking guy that can play with consistency, can finish, um, and I think making it so people aren't, you know, overly worried about losing, losing Barrera. Revs still, you know, Carlos Hill is still a great player. You know, Bobby Wood, I think, has had a good start to the season. You know, Gustavo Bo and Vrioni, when they've been in, have been pretty, pretty effective, so... Pretty impressed with the team so far. Tough loss. Uh, but then, as I said, they'll be on the road against Philadelphia <clears throat> this weekend. And the Revs currently still in first place. Despite the loss, they'll have a five-goal lead in the goal differential. So, <clears throat> Revs still um, in first place in the East. And actually top of the league in MLS despite, despite the loss. So I think I'm trying to think if there's any other revolution things I want to look at. No, I don't think so. So I think we're gonna move on. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Bruins before we get into some playoff updates. The Bruins uh, late last week coming to terms with Mason Lowry on a two-year entry-level deal. He had briefly played some games in Providence, I believe. Five games, played five games in Providence, signed a ATO, which is, I think, a amateur tryout. Um... And so allowed him to play some games with Providence um, before signing his ELC. So he'll be um, an annual NHL cap hit of 925000 You know, I think kind of the Bruins' top defensive prospect uh, played at Ohio State the last couple of years. Uh, so I think it'd be interesting to watch his progress um, at Providence this, at, in Providence this season. I don't think he sees, you know, meaningful games with the Bruins next year, you know, unless there's some injuries, you know, or maybe there's some big movement in the offseason, but good to have him signed. Um, you know, really excited to see what he can do with the team the next couple of years um, as, you know, hopefully he can kind of get added to the defensive core that the Bruins have with Carlo, Lindholm, and McAvoy. Um, and, you know, is Lower Eye maybe going to be that next guy? I'd be curious to see. Um, so two-way deal for him. Uh, Bruins with a couple of guys that are up for awards. Patrice Bergeron for the Selkie Trophy. You know, that's not really a surprise necessarily 12th year in a row that he has been nominated. Uh, Jim Montgomery nominated for the Jack Adams Award. Top coach probably pretty likely that he wins this. You know, I know that people will say, oh, you know, the playoffs, but I believe that all these are regular season awards, so wouldn't be surprised if he wins it. Um, Olmark obviously named a finalist for uh, the Vezina Trophy as the top goalie. I think that there's 
a very good chance that he wins it. Um, then David Pasternak was named a finalist for the Hart Trophy, which is the league's MVP, along with Connor McDavid and Matt, Matt Kachuk. Don't think David Pasternak's winning it with uh, the season that Matt, uh, excuse me, the season that uh, Connor McDavid had, um, just with the way that he's able to score points, but uh, pretty a nice honor for Pasternak because I think that this has been by far his best season. So um, I think great recognition for him, even if he may not win it. So, you know, I think the Bruins getting recognition for the great regular season and rightfully so, but um, the playoff loss still really stings you guys. And I'm sure those of you big Bruins fans that listen to this program, that's, you know, still sucks. And I think still sucks that, you know, Florida is still alive. Whatever you may think about what your, you know, thought process is, is, you know, oh, I'm, you know, upset that Florida's still there. They beat the Bruins, you know, or it's kind of a, oh, well, you know, maybe if you're one of those people that feels better that, you know, Florida's going on the run. So you can say, oh, the Bruins lost to, you know, freight train, but it's like Bruins still should have won that series, I think you know, looking at all the opportunities that they really had to, you know, hold leads specifically in game six and seven. Um, and then, you know, Brad Marchand's chance at the end of game five. So, you know, it's still sucks, but I think uh, it'll be nice for the team to get some recognition um, at the end of the season with the awards. So I think that that's going to do it. We're going to jump to some playoff updates with, the uh, NHL and the NBA. So obviously Celtics and Heat series will start on Wednesday. The Lakers defeating the Warriors in game six this weekend. Nuggets had beaten the Suns. So Lakers and Nuggets will play in the first game of the Western Conference Finals uh, tomorrow night in Denver. So be interesting to see how that series goes. I still like Denver. You know, I think they've been the best, um, been the best team in the playoffs so far. Um, I think most consistent, you know, had a really good run with Jokic and Murray. You know, those two guys have been great. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., just a really good deep team. Very similar to the Celtics, in my opinion. So um, I think they beat the Lakers. I think they have a little bit more depth, a little bit more shooting. Um but I do think it's going to be a good series. I think it'll be at least five um, or six games, but Denver will win. The Suns had fired uh, Monty Williams yesterday after four seasons. Um, and then uh, obviously a lot of people heard about the uh, John Morant incident as he was uh, on Instagram live video, you know, holding a gun. And it just is, it's disappointing. Um, I think it's, you know, I kind of thought, and I think a lot of people thought that he was, you know, past the, you know, whatever you want to call this a behavior or whatever. It just is, it's just depressing for me specifically, just because it's like, well, I shouldn't say it like that. I don't want to make it about myself, but it just is tough to see because Jaw is such a great, talented basketball player. And I think, you know, means a lot to the Grizzlies, obviously means a lot to the city, but it just is disappointing the way that it kind of doesn't seem like the previous suspension had, you know, an effect because clearly he's doing it again. So um, I think he's been suspended from team activities or whatever, but I really hope that, you know, he can, I don't want to say get help, but it's just like, you don't want to see him go down a, a dark path. Um, and I think that you know, just such a talented player that, you know, you wish that he could stay focused on on-court stuff. Now, obviously, I don't know the full scope of what's going on. I don't want to, you know, impose or anything or wonder or speculate about what's going on. But I do think that there needs to be someone in his life that needs to kind of get him going on the right path, get him focused on playing basketball, because it's just like, I think playing basketball professionally is a privilege. And I think that, you know, that can be taken away from you um, for whatever reason. And so I just hope that he can get focused on, you know, what's important. But 
Uh, it just is, it's kind of sad to see. So um, I hope, I hope that he can, you know, get help and, you know, be the, the great basketball player that he is. Uh, so as I said, just moving back to Lakers and Nuggets, game one of that series is Tuesday night at 8.30. Uh, at 8 o'clock on Tuesday night will be the NBA draft lottery. So we'll see which NBA team will have a chance at landing Victor Wembanyama. So, Wembanyama, okay. I'm trying to th- just want to find out who the teams are that have the best chances. Okay, so it's the Pistons, the Rockets, and the San Antonio Spurs that are tied with the best odds to land the top pick. So that will be interesting to see. And then obviously, you know, all the teams in the lottery have at least a 1% or half a percent chance to land Wembenyana. It's Wembenyana. It's always crazy to see if there's a team that has a very low chance. But I think have to expect that it's the Spurs, the Rockets, or the Pistons that gets uh, the number one pick. So that'll be interesting to see Tuesday night. So we're going to move over to the NHL. There is one series still going on. Game 7 between the Kraken and the Stars will be tonight at 8 in Dallas. Kraken able to force a Game 7 of the 6-3 win over the weekend. Vegas beating Edmonton last night, so they won their series in 6 games. So Vegas will take on the winner of Seattle and Dallas. And then obviously Carolina and Florida winning their second round series. So they will meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. Not sure when those series will start. The Western and Eastern Conference Finals probably will be some point this week. So I think me personally very much looking forward uh, to the Hurricanes-Panthers series. I think it's going to be a a bloodbath. I think it's really going to be a fun series to watch. Um, I think that it's great for the NHL to see, you know, some of their non-traditional markets going deep in the playoffs. I think it's good for the growth of the game. I don't really know why some people are not excited about it, not excited about, you know, growing the game, because that's what this is, you know. You can't have it both ways. You can't have, on one hand, saying that you want growth for the game, but then on the other hand, being like, well, you know, who wants to watch these two teams that, like, no one cares about, or I don't even know what the argument is, but you have to be excited about this type of thing because this is the only way that the game can get grown, um, you know, with these non-traditional markets. Now, I think we all have our feelings about certain fan bases. Um, so, you know, it kind of is what it is. Everyone has, I think, their own opinions about that sort of thing. But I think it's great. I think it's great for the NHL to see Florida, Carolina, and Vegas getting this far in the playoffs. You know, and you'll see if Seattle... Or Dallas wins. I mean, either way, non-traditional market, so or hockey market, I should say. So, really excited to see the next couple or the next round, uh, whoever it is that wins Seattle-Dallas series, playing Vegas. You know, I think, in my opinion, you got to think Vegas is probably the the favorite to win. You know, Carolina has been excellent um, in the playoffs, but I don't think that they've. I don't want to say it like this, but I don't know if they've been challenged necessarily. So it will be interesting to see how they match up with Florida. Um, but I do think it's Vegas's cup to lose at this at this point. You know, the only number one seed that's, I believe, the only number one seed that's still alive. Because Carolina, I don't think Carolina was a number one seed. Oh, no, they were. Okay, so Carolina and Vegas, the two number one seeds that are still alive. So that'll be curious to see in the conference finals. Um, And I think, yeah, it's probably going to do it for the NHL. We're going to take a look at some baseball notes and standings. Uh, Kind of a strange incident uh, happened yesterday with the Rockies and the Phillies. Bryce Harper charging at the Rockies dugout um, after a pitcher was coming off the field and yelling at the Phillies, I guess. So, it's kind of a bit of a, not a brawl necessarily, but kind of a, not like a physical altercation, but an altercation. So 
that was kind of wild to see. So Harper and I believe, geez, now I'm not going to remember the name of the Rockies pitcher, but both of them were ejected from that game. Uh, yeah, so we'll take a look at the standings as we are pretty much about a month and a half into the season. The American League East, as we mentioned, Red Sox um, in last place, but only in last place by a half a game. American League East, only division where every team has a winning record. So, yeah, it's going to be a dogfight the rest of the year. So, uh, Tampa Bay still leads the division at 31 and 11. They are four games ahead of the second place Orioles in the American League Central. The Twins, 23 and 18, three and a half games ahead of Cleveland. Texas still leads the West, 25 and 15, a four-game lead over the Houston Astros. The Braves in first in the National League East, 25 and 15, a five-game lead over the Phillies. Milwaukee is still in first in the Central, 23 and 17. They are a game and a half ahead of Pittsburgh. And the Dodgers in first in the West, three-game lead over Arizona. Dodgers are 26 and 15. So Red Sox next three opponents, Seattle 20 and 20 at the moment. The Padres are 19 and 22. And the Red Sox will then play. Yeah, play the Angels. They're 21 and 20. And then after that, they'll play the D-backs, who are 23 and 18. So we're going to move over to the NFL. Maybe we'll take a look at some of the uh, marquee games on the schedule. Uh, the Dolphins agreeing to terms with former Patriots lineman Isaiah Wynn. So that was kind of interesting to see. Not necessarily the team, but just that it had, you know, taken a bit for him to be signed. Um, not really surprised that he went to Miami. You know, I think a lot of former Patriots kind of go over there. Um, the Texans coming to terms with uh, Shaquille Griffin on a one-year deal. Let me try to take a look at the schedules. I'm going to just look at some weak... Yeah, I'll take a look at the season opener, actually. Uh, Detroit and Kansas City will open the season on Thursday, September 7th. Chiefs will host, as is pretty customary, I think, with a defending champion getting to host the first game on Thursday night. So uh, pretty cool, I think, nod for the Lions, you know, getting to play in that season opener. Um, good for their franchise, I think, to get some more eyeballs on a team that I think is going to be pretty exciting uh, this season. So the Giants and the Cowboys will open up the Sunday night football season with um, playing in New York on September 10th. So that's the Sunday night football game. And then the Monday night football game will be a battle of uh, New York, so to speak, as the, uh, Jets and the Bills will play in Monday Night Football in East Rutherford, New York, New Jersey. So that will be an interesting game to watch. Some other some other Week One games that might be interesting: uh, Tampa Bay, Minnesota. Or actually, sorry, that no, maybe not because Tom Brady's not playing for Tampa Bay anymore. I just, I just realized that. Um, San Francisco and Pittsburgh might be an interesting game. Jacksonville, Indianapolis. Uh, you know, I'm just curious to see what it looks like for the rookie quarterbacks. You know, if those guys are going to be the starters week one. You know, Bryce Young with Carolina, C.J. Stroud with Houston. Um, and then... Anthony Richardson with the Colts. So, 
you know, that first game Colts-Jags might be interesting. Um, C.J. Stroud possibly against Lamar Jackson. That could be an interesting game. That's a 1 o'clock CBS game. Uh, Miami-Los Angeles might be interesting. Uh, the Chargers, and then obviously, I think probably the biggest game that Sunday is going to be Patriots-Eagles. You know, home opener for the Patriots. Tom Brady being back, playing the Eagles, so... It's going to be one heck of a week one. I think it's going to be really exciting. I think a week full of games that will be worth, you know, tuning into. So I think that that's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, you can uh, catch Guest Friday later this week. I have a great guest. I'm really looking forward to getting that out to you folks. Um and as always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, you know, a follow on Spotify would be great. You know, rating, uh, comment, or anything on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. Um, and yeah, you know, any comments on the Facebook or Twitter page would be great. Anything you guys want to hear more about, um, any questions or comments or whatever, just let me know. Um, so we'll talk to you folks on Friday.